Hello ninjas and ninjets and welcome to this week's episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. This week I'm delighted to be joined by Mitchell Stewart who runs a social media agency in Bournemouth called Inferno Media. We're going to be talking about how brands can grow their social media profiles, tap into the different channels that are available, use influencers to grow your audience as well. And Mitchell's going to tell us how he built a Twitter following of 150,000 people in one month while he was at boarding school and he didn't even have scheduling software. So really interesting episode. I hope you enjoy it. Remember to head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review if you want us to put together a free website and marketing review for you uh, with a customized plan to help you grow your business over the next six to 12 months. Anyway, without further ado, let's get stuck in. Hello and welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Mitchell Stewart, who runs a social media agency down in Bournemouth. And he's going to be talking about how we can uh, how we can grow our social media profile and generate ROI. And he's got a particular story which kind of got him started in social media, which I think is going to be really interesting. So Mitchell, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tim. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. And you first started playing with Twitter when you were in boarding school, right? Take us back and kind of set the scene. What happened with that? Correct. So at age 17, I was in uh, boarding school uh, in Somerset called Millfield. And I was sat in my, my dorm room and I was flicking through Twitter, um, just scrolling down, looking at the latest tweets. And I kept on getting stopped by these big parody accounts, which are things like Lab Bible, all these luxury life, all these food porn accounts with hundreds of thousands, if not millions and millions of followers. And one day I thought two things, you know, how cool would it be to have a million followers? And the second thing is once I have that million followers, surely there's a big business there. Um, so I set out on this ambition to create this account from scratch, from, from zero, and try and grow it as fast as and quickly as I could. My sort of goal, I suppose, in month one was to reach 25,000 people, but I managed to... Uh, hit up to 150,000 followers within one month, which I was completely, absolutely blown away by. That's insane. 150,000 in one month. How on earth did you grow that profile so quickly? Yeah, so it's a good question. A lot of people ask me, you know, <laughs> firstly, can I do the same to their account? And yeah. Um, admittedly, there was a bit of luck, but the strategy, the right time and the right place really had that, those important factors. The account was based on luxury lifestyle. Looking back on it, admittedly, it was very materialistic, but the content was very relatable to people. So people were aspiring to, you know, drive a Ferrari or own a luxury light, own a luxury apartment in, in the Maldives. So a lot of content that you know people aspired to own one day, and that became very sort of shareable content on Twitter. Um, so yeah, I started posting some content, started people to liking it and sharing it. And what I was doing in the beginning is actually following people, so follow back, which is a strategy that quite a few people used. And at the time, it did work. But when I had 10,000 followers, other accounts with 10,000 followers say, you know, can we usually leverage each other's account and you know expand our network? So I started working with a community of other owners of Twitter accounts that had similar followings. And I grew up to 50,000 followers. And then when I had 50,000 followers, I was gaining so many organic followers and also other account holders with other 50,000 followers um, were utilizing each other's networks to, to reach, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people on a weekly basis. 
That's awesome. So you started off doing some reciprocal follows. So kind of I like you, you notice that I like you and then you like me back. But, it, you know, is that how you started from? Because I guess there are a few there are a few kind of stages here, aren't there? There's like the zero to 10 and then there's the 10 to 100 and then, you know, from so on. So what got you started in the very, very first few days? Was that the reciprocal follow thing? Correct. Yeah, Tim. Yeah, just reaching out to people um, that were interested in my interesting account but i think it was the way i did that i used um several different softwares which allowed me to target relevant people and i think the reason why this grows so fast is because it was so relevant it was relatable to people and that i was targeting to yeah so so i used softwares to pinprick individuals that i thought would be interesting content to and follow back ratio was phenomenal and i started to build followers very quickly i guess I mean, I'd, I'd love to know what software we use. We maybe talk about that in a second. But I guess one of the key things here is that your account, and this is something that's relevant to any business that's using social, your account was pure information, entertainment value, right? So the reason why you had a really good follow back ratio was because people thought that, hey, if I follow this page, I'm going to get some inspirational stuff, right? This is actually something that I genuinely want to follow. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Tim. You know, it was such relevant and interesting information to those those users. And, and yes, as you said, they wanted to follow me because they really, really genuinely enjoyed the content. And I wasn't bombarding them with any sale post at all. It was just engaging and interesting content for them. Okay, so talk us through the, the software that you use. Is this something that is part of the work that you do with Inferno or is this just a, it's mostly relevant for this kind of viral growth and... Sure, sure. Um, so we don't use the software anymore, but I used it back in the day. There were a couple of softwares. One called Manage Flitter, a very low-cost tool. Manage Flitter, you can basically go into someone else's following, so let's say you know your main competitor, and follow every single user that follows them, which I think you know is very powerful. And then there's something called uh, Audience. It used to be called Social Pro, and that basically takes that process a, a step further. So you can analyze your competitors' followers, and let's say they've got 5,000 followers. Well, who are those 5,000 followers? And out of those 5,000 followers, who are based in the UK, for example, um, who have certain keywords in their bios? And let's just target, and let's be very granular, out of those 5,000 people who we want to target. So really pinpricking you know, to the you know, person and the interests and the geographic location and the keyword, who we're sort of building that community with. That's awesome. Is that the sort of this kind of mass following? Is that the sort of thing that you will still do and you'll still recommend for people? Um, I think times have changed slightly. Um, a lot of people do follow people, expect to follow back. We wouldn't recommend that with, with a client, to be honest. There are other techniques we're, we're using that are more organic and, you know, it, it does look a bit desperate for brands to reach out to individuals to sort of get a, a like back or follow back. But yeah, you see something like, you know, Capital FM, they say, you know, if you follow us, we'll follow you back. I mean, that doesn't have any value to them, but they just want to stop still their sort of build of their community. Yeah, I guess it's one of those, isn't it, where when you've got a, a campaign which you've set up as, a, I guess, a bit of fun, you can experiment with stuff and you can use stuff which maybe borders into slightly spammy automation stuff, which when you're working with a brand account, you definitely wouldn't want to touch that stuff because you don't necessarily want to get any bite back or... Yeah, it's just not a good look, is it, I guess? Sometimes. Yeah, you're 100% right, Tim. Um, using that platform to experiment, to, to really push the boundaries, was highly beneficial looking back in things. And some of the techniques that I gained uh, through that process, I don't think I would know now unless I went through that process of 
really trying to break it, push the boundaries and trying to do something a bit different. Yeah. I, well, there's obviously still loads of stuff which is, is completely relevant. And it's, a, I guess, a really good crash course in building a, a campaign really quickly to a size that most Twitter accounts will never experience, let alone in their first month. So maybe let's talk about the, the sort of content that you were, were sharing there. And I know this was all around the luxury and lifestyle um, stuff, but how did you decide what to post? Did you have your your target customer in mind? Did you have your target follower in mind and just think about what are they interested in? Yeah, exactly. I, I thought, you know, who'd be interested in this sort of customer, uh, in, in this sort of content. And I was thinking sort of, a sort of 13 as young as 13 up to probably 25 30 i thought would be interested so yeah i was just saw some content that i thought thought was really relevant and things that sprang to mind you know uh, it's like you know ferrari racing down you know mayfair in central london beautiful beach house in bahamas you know things that people may already have or may aspire to have but that really sort of motivational content that people comment and tag their friends and go Hey, you know, imagine living here one day or let's buy this. So yeah, it was, it was just coming back to being relatable and really interesting. Yeah, that's killer. I guess that any content where you're getting that kind of sharing and people tagging their friends, then you know that you've got a really good audience match there because they're they're jumping on the, the credibility and the quality of the post, aren't they? By tagging their friends, say, hey, look, I want to be associated with this. And I think you might want to be associated with this too. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. Yeah, so I was posting some tweets and some tweets we had sort of between four and 10,000 um, retweets and likes and comments, you know, on just per, per tweet. And I was posting, you know, several times a day. So we were literally posting and we were just gaining followers and followers and followers. And what I didn't realize back in the, in the day when I was at school, I didn't understand there were scheduling tools. You all had to do it manually. So <laughs> what I did to work around my school classes is I would put my phone on airplane mode. I would schedule the, the content on Twitter because it wouldn't allow you to publish it because it would say there's no signal and then save it in drafts. And then between lessons, I would just go in, turn back on my airplane mode and just release one tweet and then turn it off again. And that was my way of managing um, the content, which looking back at it, it's really daft and stupid. But yeah, I didn't understand scheduling. So yeah, it was uh, an interesting technique I used to get around that. That's amazing. That's, that's so good. Um, and you mentioned that you'd be posting a few times a day. Do you have any opinions on what sort of optimum posting frequency is for a company who's looking to get some sort of viral growth, even if it's not on this scale? Sure. The, the way the algorithms are changing, especially Twitter, is it real time anymore, depending on your preference and your setting? Brands have got to be very careful about you know, the quantity of their posting. What I've always been told is don't post for the sake of posting. Post because you've got something interesting to say. And I see too many brands saying we've got to post X man on Twitter or Facebook. And quite frankly, you know, I think that's just looking backward. You know, we have to be looking forward. People are very busy. Their time is very precious. So we need to deliver content that's highly engaging and is very personal. On Twitter, for example, I would say one to three tweets a day at complete max. A lot of people used to say sort of six to seven tweets a day. Those days are over for me in terms of how the algorithm is working. Um, and Facebook and Instagram, there's a completely different ball game, but I think one at max, which I th still think potentially is, is too much. First, for certain types of brand, yes, don't get me wrong, there's certain situations where you know we can deliver more, more content, but for your standard sort of B2B, B2C business, saturation is, is not a good thing. 
So you definitely go for uh, quality over quantity. And you talk about the the, the changing of, of Twitter's algorithms. Obviously, you know, the while you're away section is their attempt to to kind of help people get through the the absolute flood of, of tweets that are, a kind of real time news feed generates for them. How can people make sure that their tweets are, are showing up in that section? How can they make sure that people are seeing their content? Sure. So from my understanding, in terms of how all the social media algorithms are going, it's all based down to the user because at the end of the day, the more time you spend on the platform, the more time they have to show you ads. So from Facebook, you know, Instagram and Twitter, their main interest is to make, you know, their user experience best as possible. Creating highly engaging content, I think, you know, for example, on Facebook, if you do good content, your reach just goes up. You don't even have to do anything. Uh, I think people don't need to worry about how their algorithms work. It's just by merely posting really interesting content that will sort of filter, you know, filter through to those people. I think, yes, it's a bit, bit time sensitive as well. But yeah, having a balance of those you know, couple of things would be beneficial. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I want to just jump back a little bit because we, you mentioned with the, um, with your original growth thing that you were talking to people who had accounts at similar sizes to you. And we see this a lot, for example, on Instagram with, with pages featuring other pages and you're doing, doing these kind of reciprocal, um, reciprocal shares. How much of, of that is a, is a realistic strategy for, for a B2C or B2B company? I think it's quite hard in, in the market to see a lot of companies building partners in certain industries which work. I think in one case it really does work and that's with influencers. I think in terms of cross-selling with, with brands, I think it is very hard because every customer and brand has a sort of different marketplace, different type of customer. But yeah, picking an influencer that, that is in your target market that has you know a large following that's highly engaged, I feel like there's a lot of benefit there for brands in terms of their marketing. Yeah, I guess we see um, a sign of that is, you know, the the Kardashians are rumored to earn 30 to 300K per per post of a, you know, feature a new whatever, whether it's a piece of clothing or a, or a shake or something like that. So we're moving to a, a place where these, these influencers, even if they're just, you know, they've built a huge audience on Instagram, they don't necessarily have much of a presence elsewhere online, but they've just got a huge Instagram following they're becoming gatekeepers and, and they're providing a lot of a lot of traffic in some cases for um for companies is it purely lifestyle and and kind of b2c products that can do best from this is there any sort of angle that a b2b company could use with influencers do you think yeah i think it comes down to the influence itself what you know understanding the audience of, of that individual and that following but yeah so many companies are using them. and i actually believe those rumors of you know 30 300k probably bang on the money, you know, when you post something to 50 million people, you know, if you go on TV, you know, you don't, you can't even reach that for that. Yeah. Sort of, that's the power of social. And the best thing is majority of it is quantifiable. It's real time. It's fast. It's easy to reproduce. And I think it's the way of, of the future. Yeah, exactly. It's trackable, isn't it? It's like you say about TV. If you post something on, on Kim Kardashian's Twitter and you see the posts, that people they see the comments that people are leaving like oh love those shoes love that bag where do you get that bag where do you get that hat where do you get that dress this is such a targeted audience they're absolutely rabid for these products and just kim's status or whoever's status just 
kind of takes that to the next level. The fact that this is trackable for the brands just means that if they're willing to spend that money, it's got to be working. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you you know you look at those brands, they, they do spend a lot on TV, and I think. You know, we're in 2017 now, all these marketing managers, directors are reallocating budgets for, for social and for social influences. Instead of spending less, say, you know, quarter million pounds on a TV advert, you know, let's spend one tweet with Kim Kardashian. We're going to get a bigger reach. It's going to be more targeted. And at the end of the day, we're going to sell more stuff. It's a no brainer for some companies. Yeah. So if somebody's interested, let's say they're B2C and let's say they sell something which, I don't know, something fitness related or something like that, would you suggest that they go out to, to influencers in the fitness space and just drop them an email or, you know, often these influencers have got their booking email in their Instagram bio, haven't they? You know, they're asking for these kind of collaborations. How, how would you suggest that someone goes about utilizing that? Um, I think it all comes down to sort of budget and expectations. Um, if it's a sort of one-off thing, I think it's best to go straight to um, the influence themselves. However, the fluctuation in their pricing model is, is absolutely huge. You know, when I had my Twitter account, 150,000 followers, I would literally, and it sounds terrible, I would try and take charge as much as I could. And people, we would negotiate a different price and some people go lower, some people go higher. And it would go from, let's say, $20 for one retweet up to sort of $150. So yeah, I think it is important to go through an agency that has an existing relationship with that influence, influencer to make sure you're getting a good deal. Because if not, an influencer will just try and charge it as much as they can. Because, you know, this is a new industry. No one knows how to charge. These big agencies and big influencers just try and charge as much as they think is acceptable and how much the branding is willing to pay. Yeah, I guess if they see that you're green, then you're going to you're going to get stung. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think you should be careful, but I think, you know, influence marketing is powerful, but I think it needs to tie into an overall strategy, which yeah, done by a professional marketing agency, social media agency, I think can be highly beneficial. Awesome. Uh, let's change over to, to Facebook, if that's cool. We've been talking quite a lot about Instagram and, and Twitter. How does things like posting frequency and the post uh, post types, how do they change on Facebook, if at all? Facebook have an algorithm called an edge edge ranking algorithm, which if users Google and listeners Google edge ranking algorithm, they get a really good understanding. But it's based on three key metrics. You know, when was that posted and the popularity of that post? So how many likes, shares and comments it's got in a short space of time? And second and thirdly, how important it is to you? So it could be family members, it could be a husband, your boyfriend. So Facebook understand that and deploying a relevant news feed that keeps the user on the channel the longest is the goal at the end of the day. Facebook is an advertising platform. The longer you sit on Facebook, the more time you waste scrolling through your news feed or learning new things, they have more opportunity to sell you advertising space. So yeah, the, the, the key is, you know, that strong content. Um, going back to um, post frequency, don't post for the sake of posting. Post because you've got something interesting to say. Four to six times a week on Facebook would be my guideline. Make sure it's highly engaging and make sure that you, you know, you purposely shot photo, campaign, graphics, video, uh, and really make it work. Something that we're doing quite a lot at the moment is contests on Facebook. So, you know, it kind of blurs the line with whether you're allowed to do it due to Facebook's T's and C's, but they're ridiculously effective. Do you have any kind of opinions or suggestions on the sort of businesses that can can benefit from running contests on Facebook? 
Yeah, I think um, competitions are a really good way of building exposure. You know, let's be honest, who doesn't like winning, you know, a hotel for two, a, a luxury hotel? I think that, yeah, the way you style it is really important. We've just, we're well, in the process of launching a campaign for a client that we're doing a competition on a live video. And the campaign is based around just driving more exposure for the brand. And basically what we're going to do, we're standing in the, the middle of Bournemouth, where our Bournemouth, yeah, in the city centre. And it's basically the first person to come up to that location and grab this prize. So people are going to be coming to their friends saying, go down there, where is this space? And that's just a, a new way of how people are changing and actually really act, reacting into a competition and not just liking and sharing something, but actually getting people to go out physically and actually, you know, work a little bit for, for the prize, but cause lots of good exposure in the meantime. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that'd be cool. Are you? It, what's the plan? Are you planning to film that and then repurpose it later on? What's... Yeah, so literally it's going to be... A live video, the owner's going to be standing in the middle of the Bournemouth Square, but in a sort of hidden location. And it's just going to be um, the live video, and it's just going to have a small sort of screen in terms of, he's just going to have like basically this lamp post, which is quite <laughs> iconic in Bournemouth. And he's just going to be basically filming like corner of this lamppost you can say the first person to get down to this particular location gets like £250 Amazon voucher. And people are going to be like, where on earth is this lamppost? Do you know this? I know where it is, you know. Oh, wow, I see. So they've actually got to identify the location and then get there. So he's not saying, here's where I am, come and find me. He's like, Correct. here's a cryptic clue. <laughs> yeah, basically, so it's going to be a bit of a treasure hunt. But yeah, we're thinking about rolling things like that out just to get that really strong engagement and just try and do something a bit different. There's so much noise on social media, but you have to stand out from the crowd and, and be willing to sort of try and break the mold. I think it's really important. Yeah, definitely. Super important, especially as, as more and more brands come online with social, the amount of, of noise and low quality kind of gibberish and chatter is, is seeming to just rise and rise. So many empty Facebook and, and Twitter pages, you know, posting a lot, but absolutely no engagement. So I guess doing something to stand out like that is is absolutely key. Sweet. Um, Let's talk a little bit about goal setting, if that's all right. So when you're starting campaign or when you're you know, talking to someone who's starting a campaign, what sort of targets or goals would you have in mind for that campaign during the early days? Sure. Um, firstly, say every single business is completely different. There are two things. There's, you know, a quantifiable ROI. So, for example, someone coming in and purchasing, you know, a coffee and some and a sandwich, we can quantify that. But what happens if they, they tell their friend and then their friend goes and buys it? It's a little bit more tricky. So I think there's two things. There's that real brand exposure and maintaining that brand and driving new people to understand that brand and that offering. And then there's that sort of direct ROI in terms of, you know, turning that into business now. In terms of goals, Google Analytics um, is absolutely fantastic in terms of sending traffic from social media channels. We can monitor, you know, the, the conversions there. And ads now, like claim an offer on Facebook, lead generation forms are proving to be seriously cool. I think listeners, yeah, have a have a play with lead generation forms on back into Facebook, really powerful. But yeah, coming down to the, the size of the business, it's not about the following anymore for, for me. Clients come to us and sometimes say, I want 10,000 followers because my competitor's got 10,000 followers. And I said, well, what value has that got to you? So, well, it's great to, you know, see those followers on the page. And I said, well, firstly, the icon size and the font size of the, the number of followers is going smaller and smaller because it's really not relevant. Just because you've got 10,000 followers doesn't mean you're going to reach 10,000 followers when you post. 
monitoring success for us is, is based on engagement rate. Um, I think that's one of the biggest driving factors. We're putting content out there. How are they reacting to that? What sort of action they're taking? Okay, so we we you are using ROI as as a kind of as a primary target, and then engagement over say audience growth or, or something like that, which is more like a, a vanity metric, isn't it? Because if you want ten thousand followers, you know you could have ten follow ten thousand followers tomorrow morning with buying them. So correct, yeah, yeah. You mentioned the the uh, the Facebook lead forms. What sort of angles are you seeing working well with those? Okay, so Facebook lead forms is a really good way to basically extract information from a user. So we can do what they call a lead form. They basically click on it, and the information is already pre-populated because Facebook know your full name, and then your email address, and then your phone number. And for people that are really busy, they literally fill out this lead form within. 10 seconds, five seconds, they've completed this form. It's really great for B2C and B2B market. Traditionally, it's very hard to get someone from your Facebook page to go onto your website to find the call to action. This makes that process you know, a lot more simpler for the user um, and also great for the brands because you know, they've got a, another email subscriber or they've got a, a hot lead that they can call. What sort of offers, what sort of magnets should, be, should they be offering in order to, to make the most of these lead forms? So yeah, it just goes back to the value proposition, offer, you know, free strategy meeting, offer a, a free loyalty card when you come and, you know, eat with us in January, for example. Yeah, offering value is, is the key. I guess it has to be, so it's, it's kind of really just like the, the CTAs that they'd have on their main website, but I guess it has to be really easy to understand because you don't have the luxury of a, an entire web page to explain this thing to them, right? They're going straight to the form from a Facebook ad. So it needs to be quite an easy concept to grasp high perceived value, low risk. Correct. Yeah. I mean, when you're describing, I think Facebook allow you to put five sentences at max. And they're short sentences. I mean, I uh, don't know the exact web word count there, but yeah, you don't have much time to convey that message. So straight to the point, you know, low risk and high value, as you said, and yeah, you'll do very well with them. What about the uh, the Facebook Canvas ads and posts? Have you have you been doing much stuff with those guys? Yeah, the Canvas ad works really well. Yeah, the, the great thing is you can basically have, you know, a Canvas and video of photos and sort of merge one photo into three photos which i always think work really well and you know having that styled in an appealing way but then it comes back to the value proposition you know the call to action and really what you're trying to achieve yeah i think all the all the new facebook ad technologies can sometimes be a little bit confusing but in the early days particularly they get massive engagement don't they because people are like oh that's interesting that's different like canvas ads a lot of people won't have seen or engaged with one before so if they see it you're much more likely to get higher ctr because it's just something new that you know they're used to looking at their facebook feed all day and here's something that looks completely different yeah no i completely agree um, and it encourages businesses like ourselves and other businesses you know around the world to start trying this new technology because facebook always have you know lower cost per acquisition you know it's it's always great you know and start and then it gets higher and higher for me the 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 cost of Facebook advertising is so reasonable. You look at a Google, you know, pay-per-click AdWord compared to Facebook. I mean, it is a fraction of the, the price. And I think the value is getting there. So I think, you know, Facebook are, are going to dramatically increase the ad um, costs in the near future. Yeah. And I guess the good news there is that people are going to have to become better at advertising in order to justify that high ad cost. So the better advertisers are going to do 
are do, going to do proportionally better and the worst advertisers will get will get weeded out because yeah most of the time now we're getting kind of cost per lead at the same sort of price on facebook as we're getting a cost per click on google adwords it's just there's such a gulf there isn't there it just seems it seems crazy yeah no yeah it, there's a huge spread from you know facebook to to, to google and yes yeah, quite unremarkable really how there is such a a wide gap uh, i think that gap is getting smaller and smaller in in q2 and q3 and q4 this year i'm predicting yeah some information about increasing prices for, for sure it's got to happen they're far too reasonable i think which i'm not complaining about obviously but um right. in terms of facebook's platform yeah they're going to start ramping it up i would imagine make hay while the sun shines <laughs> yeah. sweet cool um just uh before we before we wrap up then um let's talk about channel selection so people have got instagram facebook twitter snapchat whatever how do we choose which networks they they should be focusing on it's a really tricky question actually because every company has a different marketplace and even with some of our clients is you know things work on linkedin for example when they don't work on Twitter or Instagram, it's about to, to understand your user. I think if doing some Googling and, and researching demographics and audiences on your particular social channel will really help you understand what channel will be best. For me, Facebook is such a big community, 1.8 billion active monthly users. I have some clients that tell us that, that their, their target market isn't on Facebook. You know, the whole world is you know moving online and, and looking on Facebook. Things like Instagram, you know, very visual heavy, obviously, just being photos and videos. Twitter, I don't think anyone's quite sure what Twitter is anymore. Um, <laughs> Including <so>. Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I do like Twitter. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, I, I start on Twitter. I always love Twitter. Your first love. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just understanding your, your marketplace and being, you know, trial and error. Um, there's nothing wrong with, you know, testing the water, understanding what works, you know, play around with different times of posting peak times, you know, amount of content, the type of content, videography, photography, you know, just links and just sort of explore around and see what works and sort of, you know, re-engineer your efforts and, and resources what, what, when you see results. Yeah. So spread wide to start with. As soon as you find something that's working, double down, dig in and get serious about it. Correct. Yeah, that sounds like a sensible plan. Perfect. So uh, tell us about Inferno and how can people find out more information about you guys? Sure. So Inferno, we are a social media agency based in Bournemouth and London. And we offer services such as content creation, ads management and community management. So businesses looking to increase online exposure, or generate new leads, uh, we would love to chat to you. You can contact us. My email is mitchell at inferno.media or you can visit our website www.inferno.media. Sweet. Perfect. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Mitchell, for joining us and sharing your wisdom about social. And we'll talk to you all soon.